Welcome to Creative Welly, episode 27. You're very welcome here. My name is DK, the host and producer of Creative Welly. You can find us on the .com where you can subscribe to us. It's a video podcast, but you're listening to the audio podcast. Big shout out to Jono Tucker over at Empire Films, who produces the aforementioned video podcast. Check it out online. It's such a beautiful offering into the world. And also David for hosting us at Flashdog Studio. In this episode, we get to chat to Dr. Negan Imani, a PhD recent graduate and lecturer in architectural and building science, and also Derek Bradley, CEO of A44 Games, both of them based here in Wellington, New Zealand. In this episode, we get to talk about video gaming and the whole gaming industry and creative leadership around that, plus architecture and biomimicry. Enjoy. So I'd love to ask you both about how you describe what you do and why you do it. Like the what you do should be easy, but why you do it, I'm always fascinated by when I meet interesting humans. And we've had different conversations very briefly with Derek when I met you up in A44, and we've met a couple of times in different situations, so that's kind of cool. But how would you, in your own words, describe what you do and why you do it? Like I'm really interested in the why, so I'll allow you to answer that who wants to go first. I can, I can take this one first. I'll give you, I'll give you some yeah, thinking time in this it. case. Yeah, I like that. Because <laughs> it wasn't fair, you know, last yeah, time. Yeah, please go for it. <laughs> uh, um, nice. yeah. So uh, I run A44, which is a video game company. We essentially make video games. So we make the software itself. We don't um, make hardware. or um, Yeah, and we, we specifically make um, console games. So mm. Xbox, PlayStation, Nintendo games. Um, uh, sell to a global market, um, doing extremely creative stuff. Mm. Um, and so I think that the reason I do it, um, it's interesting because I think when I was about 16 or something like that, mm. I, like, there's it, some sort of deep psychological thing because I'd already, um, you know, I wasn't even out of high school and I'd emailed like every video game company I could find to be right. like, hey, can I have a job yeah. here? Um, I didn't even know that video game companies existed in New Zealand at the time, so they were all like overseas. Yeah. Um, zero replies, of course. Um, but I just remember that being a thing, and then I mm. went through university and did a whole bunch of other stuff. Like I studied film, I studied philosophy, I went, did all of this, and mostly because I didn't believe that it would be possible to make video games in New Zealand for oh, me. Right. Okay. Um, and then somehow, as I'd done all of that stuff, I'd collected some of the skills that you'd need and then ended up mm. making video games. Mm. Um, the reason I do what I do now, I suppose, so it was born of a love for video games. Um, but I like doing creative stuff anyway. Like I was always good in art class or painting mm. class or in, enjoyed it anyway. Good is subjective. I don't know that I was good. Mm -hmm. um, but I liked it. Um, and then moved into sort of film and... Um, studied sort of VFX type stuff, uh, worked at Weta, did all those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. um, worked at a company called Pickpock in central Wellington as well, um, and so got to learn about video games. But I'd worked at Weta for a while, and there was I, I just wanted to make sort of big console Xbox, PlayStation type mm. games. And there wasn't anyone really doing that in New Zealand, at least not in a way that I wanted to do it. Um, yeah. There were some options, but not really what I wanted. So... Um, the option was uh, go overseas or make your own company. Mm. And so mm. I decided to make my own company, and it seems to have worked. Um, oh. is, is sort of why I do it. Um, beyond that, um, 
it's been an interesting journey because I still like I love the medium, mm. but more than the medium, I think I could be doing almost anything as long as it meets two requirements. And one is that I'm being helpful. Like I want mm. to help people do things mm -hmm. um, and actually create things. Um, mm -hmm. And the second is um, that I'm being strategic. Like I really enjoy mm. being strategic. I like doing things that um, achieve some sort of goal with um, creative strategic thinking which is not what I thought I was going to be doing because I started off as an artist that would put their headphones on and sculpt for like eight hours course, and yeah. not do like almost, mm. you'd think not do any of that. Mm. But I think the same sort of creative thinking has moved into business. And so okay. strangely came from video games, um, came from art and things like philosophy, uh, got into business and found that I really love it. Um, it's, mm. it's a lot of fun and... Um, sort of taught me as well that anybody can do it. Like you, you can have your own style. Like I'm not an accountant who, who like works with spreadsheets and numbers and plays the odds in that sort of way. Mm. Um, I'm more like the strategic general type where like I choose particular strategic moves to do things. Mm. Um, Cause I'm also not the um, big bombastic personality either. Like I'm not the, um, right. Uh, that sort of leader either which is just you just sort of find where you sit and what you enjoy mm -hmm. um, it's a strange evolution and like I don't really have a solid answer because it's been more of a journey of self-discovery and yeah. things that I absolutely didn't know about myself when I started and I've sort of fallen into because um, even doing the business side of things that I do now with A44 when we started it, it was just because no one else wanted to do it mm. like you know, the artists wanted to do artistic things and as soon as they got in the business stuff it was boring um they didn't want to do it and didn't feed their soul uh, same with programmers like the yeah. way that it all worked out and i was just like well i guess i'll do it um and it was boring to be honest at the start but as you got into more interesting things i was like wow there's actually something to get your teeth into here and i found that i love that even more than the art that i was doing mm. originally because you saw it as a way of igniting in others the creative action that you enjoy yeah yeah almost yeah Exactly. Right. So, um, and then, which is where the helpfulness comes in. Like, I want mm. to make the best um, platform for people to do that. Mm. Um, driven by excellence, though. Like, it's not particularly soft. Okay. It's far more like, I want you to be the best in the world. This mm. is what it's going to mm. take. Mm. Um, and I'm going to try and structure everything I can possibly do around mm. you to achieve that. Mm -hmm. um, is kind of what I, the way I think about it. And so, um, it's interesting because I almost don't even mind what we make or what we do as long as I've been able to put the pieces in place mm. to get people to be able to do that, mm. uh, which That's is a, great. it's just mm. a strange thing mm. that I never anticipated, never thought mm. would be me in mm. any way, but. Can we linger bit. just a minute, mm. just on the details of, it's been going eight years, A44? Uh, since 2013, so what are we nine. looking at? Yeah, eight, nearly nine. Mm. Yeah, nearly nine. Uh, just for those who don't know A44 games who are listening right now, mm. in terms of the products, like Ashen is your biggest title to date? Yes, Ashen's our only title. Only, so like, right. you know, the, the way we make video games is really like building a ship or something like that because you right. just spend like five years building something with A44 being like eight years old. Mm. Um, I love the demo. <laughs> you got to go? Uh, no, I didn't actually. I just looked at the demo. And right, uh, the work right. I stuff, loved right? it. Yeah, yeah thank yes. you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and so... Uh, can't really say much about what we're doing next because games are so extremely secretive. Yeah. Um, 
But, but it's come in, the next title is... Yeah, bigger and better things, uh, always. Uh, as I say, like with the whole um, strategic bent that I have personally, like it's always just positioning people to make more amazing things. Yeah. Like how, do we, how do we achieve that? And so we're certainly doing uh, more amazing things. Mm. Okay. Mm. I love your why. I love your description of excellence, which I really want to come back to because mm. I think there's an interesting discussion around the culture of New Zealand and the topic of excellence. Mm. So we'll come back. But I just want to hear from you. Uh, what do you do and why do you do it? Okay. Um, that's a very good question. Mm. Um, I do a couple of things at the moment. <laughs> mm. um, I So give you a little bit of you know um, my background. Uh, I'm an architect. Um, I was uh, born um, and raised and taught uh, in Iran um, and um, yeah um, I was working there as a registered um, architect uh, mm -hmm. for a couple of years and I did my bachelor's and master's degree and <clears throat> then I came here to New Zealand uh, to do my PhD now I'm a researcher um, you know I just um, commute I used to commute between um, Dunedin and um, Wellington because um, I was working um, as a lecturer in um, Chicago Polytechnic in Dunedin and um, yeah for some reason you know this opportunity came up to um, actually kick off um, a new research which is very exciting um, it's about designing living buildings actually uh, envelopes building envelopes and surfaces that respond to environmental criteria environmental factors mm. um, yeah so that, you know, why I'm hesitating is that um, sometimes I really don't know what I do. Okay. You know, um, I'm an architect, right? I'm a researcher, uh, I'm a lecturer, but there are other things that I want to be, mm -hmm. you know, and I haven't experienced it. I really want to do them, you know. Mm. I, um, my whole story is, uh, is that, you know, I was always interested in biology. Mm. I wanted to do medicine and it just didn't work out, right? Um, and I remember that um, I think it was a month through um, the architecture course. Um, I remember I went to the class and it was like this professor and there was like a, a sculpture on the table and he asked the students to draw some sketches okay. of that because that's, you know, architecture. They, um, when you do architecture, the first year and second year of architecture is kind of like more, um, it's kind of like more artish, you know, rather than the uh, scientific part of, um, you know, buildings. And I was more, I was coming a background um, where, you know, I, I, I was very good in physics. I was, I was very good, you know, in math. I had the brain for those. Mm. And I, I really don't know why I chose architecture. Mm. So what I want to say that is that I became an architect, but, you know, I just, it's ridiculous, but it just happened for no reason, you know. <laughs> but however, I started feeling, um, you know, connected and attached and I started loving what I was doing mm -hmm. because a part of it, as you said, was like, you know, um, like creating the stuff, you know, and I, I, what is better than, uh, you know, creating something, right? Mm -hmm. and, um, and using your imagination. That's something that I think I'm really good at and maybe... Um, yeah, 
yeah so um i think yeah that that's you know that's a very tough question because i really yeah. don't know what i want to yeah, be no. or what i do there because i also want to be a pilot okay didn't okay. realize um okay sometimes i think i i want to do medicine you know and become um um yeah just studying for 12 more years why not um, you've only done what how many yes. years to be an architect? Yeah, but and what I do years. it, um, you know what? I enjoy research. Mm. I enjoy research because I'm curious. Mm. And sometimes I think the reason that I want to just flip in between, like, you know, jumping over one thing to another is that I want to just know what's happening there. Yes. Exploring things. Yeah, uncovering. And uncovering. But I also yes. think you're quite good at intersections. Yes, I am. Intersecting. Exactly. That's how, you know, my interest in biology. Yeah. Actually, I want to be a doctor, right? I, I, I enjoyed, you know, um, these um, oral surgeries. My, uh, one of my cousins, actually, my family, um, most of them are doctors. Right. You know, so I was, you know, my, most of my cousins. And I remember that, you know, I went to, um, uh, I, I had um, something to do. I, I had to fix my, uh, but I think one of my, uh, teeth was decayed so I just went to him and uh, you know he was doing surgery and the blood was coming out of his, and I was oh wow that's interesting you know and uh, anyway so it's like <clears throat> my interest in biology um, kind of I think was the reason um, that in my PhD I decided to connect um, architecture to biology and looking at how nature um, actually uh, solve solutions mm. because the nature has the answer to solutions, right? It's been billion years and, you know, um, these organisms have worked out these too many, um, you know, exciting ways of uh, surviving. Mm. And, um, yeah, so that's how architecture connected to biology. And... Um, so the next step to see actually if the stationary buildings that we have at the moment mm. could show a great extent of movement, like you know, like animals, like organisms. Mm. Um, curious. And the, and the whole mm. material design aspect and the framework that you developed out your research. Yep. Could you just touch on that so we know? Yeah, of course, of course. So, uh, you know. Uh, the problem that we have in the building sector um, is that we consume lots of energy for our buildings, right? So we have embodied energy and we have um, embodied carbon, actually. Um, so the materials that we put into the buildings, um, the life cycle of the materials, you know, extracting the materials, taking them to the, um, you know, the, um, you know, somewhere to do whatever I say, procurement and, you know, gotcha. yes, yes. And um, a transportation of those materials to the site, mm. you know, um, hiring, you know, um, people from different fields, engineers to be involved in the project, constructing the building. Uh, then, um, you know, at some point you want to renovate the building. So you just, you know, so all of these takes energy, right? And um, so this is, is not actually a very scientific uh, definition of um, like life cycle analysis mm. uh, of a building, but 
roughly in a nutshell, um, that's it. And on the other hand, the operational energy, which is um, actually, um, you know, we need to consume energy to keep inside the building cool and warm in different seasons, uh, right? So uh, to make it like comfortable for people. And that's why we have HVACs, you know, HVAC systems, uh, passive and active uh, forms of, um, yeah, um, like heat management systems mm -hmm. in a building. And for that, we um, actually consume energy. Uh, what was really interesting was that when I started doing my PhD, I found that many researchers uh, have been inspired by how organisms in nature um, like do thermoregulate, you know, adapt their body temperature to the environment. And um, they take some, you know, I found um, it was really interesting how they were inspired and how those principles uh, were applied to buildings to kind of like to improve the energy efficiency of buildings. That's what I did. Um, I did actually in my research. So as I told you, like, you know, you want to do biology, um, you mm. know, you want to be do medicine. Um, and I've, yeah, um, I could say I've, I was more interested in human body than, you know, looking at termites or birds or <laughs> whatever but mm -hmm. that was also something that I was really curious and I wanted to find out more mm. um, so yeah what and uh, at the time that I was doing my PhD there was no system to help us find the relevant inspiration in nature for whatever purpose for uh, architects for architect yeah. yes yes gotcha. yeah so I wanted actually to link these two together mm. to find out for example if you're designing this building and if um, you know um, you want to just reduce for example let's say um, decrease heat gain right what are the solutions in nature and how organisms do that and what are the principles that is used in nature and how you could translate those principles into something that could be used for uh, designing energy efficient buildings and um, so um, uh, that was that was yeah um, a tough journey mm -hmm. but I could say that it was fruitful and um, you know um, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy that and now I have a framework and a system mm -hmm. uh, to look at um, to, you know, for the next step of my research. Um, mm. So in terms of the use case for it now, mm -hmm. as an architect, could I use that framework and say I'm building a residential or a multi-use um, stuff? Could I then mm -hmm. apply it in that regards and go, okay, I can use this framework to find out whether biomimicry mm -hmm, or biophilic... Mm -hmm. Yeah, biomimetic. Yeah. yeah, these terms, you know, some of them are used interchangeably. Mm. Um, I'm but probably using them wrong. Yes, uh, that's okay. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, many. No, no, no problem. No problem. Well, what is the so, difference? Well, yeah, but it's not about the building type. No, it's not. No. Okay. So what you're asking is that, for example, if I want to design a, an office building, yes. would your framework be useful for yeah. that? I would say it doesn't have anything to do with the building type. Gotcha. Yeah. So it's more about building practices then. Building design. Yes, exactly. Internal, cool. ex external, passive, active. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. And it's an online one or is it a paper one? What's the framework? What does it look like? Uh, the framework. How would I use it? Yes. Uh, the framework. Actually, I, um, what I was thinking about the other day is to digitalize it, you know, just make this framework online and uh, online available for everyone. Mm. Um, you know, um, but at the moment, it's just, um, yeah. 
on my book. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. But yeah, online makes sense if you're going to yes, throw exactly. it out as a tool, as a resource, as an accessible, accessible. thing for other architects yes. and architectural practices yes. to utilize. Yep. Okay. I'm kind of interested, like for yourself mm -hmm. and maybe where you live now, or like mm -hmm. if you were building a building today, mm -hmm. are there any principles from this that you would take that actually do exist mm -hmm. right now? Like any sort of practical mm -hmm. things that you would be like, I pick this instead of this because I know sort of what it means and maybe in ways that mm -hmm. people don't consider it yeah. right now um, mm -hmm. are there any like big things that even maybe in specifically for New Zealand people building in New Zealand mm -hmm. but maybe worldwide it would apply too but I'm just sort of curious yeah. from your point of view that's a very good question uh, because um, at the end of my research you know the conclusion that I came to was uh, that look you know the sustainable buildings that we are designing at the moment they're kind of they have been inspired by nature Mm. You know, so but, but so your question is um, something that many people I take this question a lot. You know, so what you're going to do with this framework and isn't sustainable building design exactly the things that you're talking about in your book? And I should say yes, but what we see in sustainable buildings is the most simple and basic translation of all of these strategies that you see in nature, right? So we design sustainable buildings, energy efficient buildings, net zero buildings, but there is room for more investigation and exploration. Mm. And that's why, um, you know, that was a very good question because when I finished my PhD, I had come to this point of like depression that, so what? Right, People have okay. already done it, you know. Yeah. Um, but there are major differences, right? So as I'm saying, as I said, um, you know, the complexity uh, that, you know, exists in nature is, is nothing close to what we do in designing our buildings. Nothing is interconnected, integrated. While when you look at, for example, uh, on the other hand, when you look at uh, like um, plant leaves, right? how different layers work together, you know, cells, molecules, tissues, and the whole organism is kind of, organism is kind of like united as one, you know, mm. but it's not something that we do in architecture. And maybe, maybe that's why we're struggling still, you know, with, um, um, with you know, uh, the appropriate ways of using energy, consuming energy and producing that. Um, but, yeah, so these are the things, there are, there are major differences that if we explore, they might, and if they're successful, they might open up opportunities for completely new generation of buildings that not only help each other, you know, and, um, you know, um, our, like, say, uh, they are net zero energy building design, but also they give back to the great, right? Mm. And uh, so, so it's kind of positive. Those, yes, positive. Yeah. Um, so they're not only consumer, but they mm. are, you know, like, yeah, giver of like what they receive. Mm. I have one, one follow up to that then, because I just, just something I've been thinking about with buildings in general. Do you think prefabricated buildings, like building mm -hmm. something offsite and then just yep. moving it in, 
would mm -hmm. facilitate this better because you're talking a lot about the complexity of getting everything to work together. But when you've yes. got like a plumber and an architect and a project manager and like mm -hmm. every type of builder that you mm -hmm. have getting involved and all mm -hmm. putting their different mm -hmm. products in for every house, that mm -hmm. seems like something that'd be quite hard mm -hmm. to achieve this interconnected kind of thing you're talking about when like if I look at video games, it's like the difference mm -hmm. between building a PC out of all these different parts mm -hmm. or buying an right. Xbox, which mm -hmm. they've engineered mm -hmm. to do exactly this. Um, yeah. And then yeah. you move it in and you can mm -hmm. actually have this interconnectedness, but you can also have these 30 parts that you've put in mm -hmm. all achieve this one conceptual mm -hmm. goal mm -hmm. instead of everybody just kind of like running in all directions mm -hmm. and trying to get this thing working. I'm just curious if that's yeah. like an, yeah, if you see yeah. that as a next step at yes. all. Um, uh, yes and no. <laughs> I expected uh, that. Like Kiwi say, um, nah, nah, what, what they say? Yeah, nah. Yeah, nah. Yeah, yeah, yeah nah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Same thing. Um, um, you know, what I always say is that, um, so what you say is, um, is completely understandable, right? Um, but there are lots of limitations. Okay, um, prefabrication, um, uh, you know, uh, structures and prefabrication, uh, fabricated buildings, they are amazing, right? But actually, designing buildings is much, much more complicated than that only, you know, thinking about that. That's, that's you know, that definitely has some benefits, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, as an architect, you know, there are lots of things that... Um, um, you, it, when you, when it comes to designing a building, there are lots of things that you have to take into consideration. Yeah. Acoustics, you know, waterproofing. Um, for example, um, um, now I have like an, maybe an answer for your question. Um, so if there's flood, mm. right, and the building is prefabricated, mm. is there any way to just, uh, how could I say, rise the building and it still mm. temporarily so the flood just passes away and everything comes back to normal and the building just um, to some place. Mm. You know, so these are the things. And I think part, it's maybe something that is interesting in nature is the di uh, dynamic, you mm. know, uh, the reversible um, actions, movements, yeah. folding and folding, mm. going up, sitting down. You know, pivoting, right, which pivoting, is yeah, flipping, yeah. you know. So these sort of movements and kinetic aspects that you see in nature provide some opportunity for buildings that mm. stationary ones might not mm. be able to fulfill, you know. So well, your example that you give at the beginning of your TEDx Pivotia mm. talk, which is the idea of a home pivoting to always yes, following the sun yes, yes. as flowers do exactly. as I understand it yeah. but I can totally imagine like a whole suburb mm. of houses pivoting slowly throughout mm. the day because it'd be so slight wouldn't it you would never yep. notice until you come back yes. a couple hours later and yep. you know that it's moved and I love that idea of a whole suburb just pivoting slowly mm. or individual houses within the suburb yes. pivoting slowly yeah. Yeah. towards the sun to yeah. then keep the the the, the heat with Temperature, exactly. yeah, gain, exactly. or the other way, right? To yes. lose the temperature yes. as well. Yes. Face away from the sun because exactly. you're in a, too much And there are many time. buildings, actually. Um, not many buildings, a few buildings that have been designed, you know. That do that? Uh, yeah. Mm. Uh, but, you know, there are kind of 
I would say one off yeah. examples, just one here, one there. Mm. And they, they proved to be quite um, energy efficient, you know. Mm. Um, well, the advancement on material designs in mm. architecture is just phenomenal now, as you know. Like I've been doing a bit of work with a company called Tulo, where I, I do online MCs, you know mm -hmm. that. Uh, so they do an uh, event every month for architects around the world, and I do the online MC in for this event. We have like 300, 350 architects around the world. And the talent that they curate there from global architects who are doing amazing stuff in architectural design and architectural fabrication and all this other stuff. And I hear from them, and I'm really positive about the idea of you know, this influence of biomimicry, biophilia, which is slightly different, I know, uh, but material design and, and even the concept of windows being self-tinting yep. throughout the day. You know, so maybe you can't pivot the house, but you can pivot the windows from a perspective of how much light they let in or heat and stuff in graduation. Uh, and that's there now, you know, and, and the thermal regulation that can occur throughout uh, the, the fabric of the walls and stuff like that and the self-regulation mm -hmm. of heat being built in, the technology being built in, but it's quite subtle and it takes its cues from, as you know, uh, nature. Mm -hmm. It's fantastic out there mm -hmm. at the moment. Mm -hmm. So I'm really kind of hopeful, mm -hmm. although I do too, see yeah. the lack of that in New Zealand mm -hmm. and the New Zealand build situation mm -hmm. um, and just the, because um, there's the whole passive house movement this just hit our shores, which is yeah. great, but it's like it's been mm. going on years in mm. especially the Nordic states. Mm. We've been doing passive house mm. since you know day one in a sense because they had to. And mm. um, we're only catching up with this stuff here. How do you find coming from Iran and, and mm -hmm. also having a global probably view that you do have and then looking and basing yourself here in New Zealand, how would you describe the different architectural communities mm -hmm. and their approaches to this biomimicry? Um, work that you've done in a um, globally? Globally. Um, well, to be honest, um, you know, Iran is a like a huge country, like mm. yeah, about, um, I think the population has reached to 80 million right. by now. Yeah. Okay. And so when the population is quite big, you know, the chance of, um, how could I say, people who are interested to take one step forward beyond what's mm. um, actually norm in, in the way that you design uh, a building um, actually increases, right? So mm. um, I remember that there was a building that was um, designed by a famous architect in Iran. It's uh, like an apartment and um, only uh, one, so I think it's a, uh, two-story buildings and only the second story actually kind of Ooh. you know just um, that the whole part yeah. actually uh, rolls around and follows the sun and um, the architect um, actually uh, became very famous and got like very good reputation after that mm -hmm. um, but um, and there are there are many many buildings that in Iran like in terms of um, imitating and replicating the um, the morphologic, morphologic like the um, form of the patterns um, okay. of nature and yeah. like, um, you know, creating those undulating surfaces like, you know, mm. on the facade or these fluid like, um, yeah, uh, fluid like uh, envelopes and uh, there, are there are buildings like that but um, I, I, I can't think of 
uh, like um, how could I say and a, a large portion of our buildings to be built like that yeah, no, yeah. no. no okay. but people are exploring and there are good examples mm. and um, they've been get um, yeah um, they've been awarded mm. actually in international competitions mm. um, yeah good examples but um, I think none of them actually explore um, or have been built with the purpose of like uh, like consuming less energy in a building you know it's kind of like more um, yeah imitating and emulating the patterns and forms. When you mentioned energy earlier on, I remember my dad <coughs> taking a grant uh, from the local authority back in Wales, now South Wales, to get some um, solar panels on the roof there. Mm -hmm. Now, he lives in the valleys of the South Wales, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not the most sunniest of places. Mm -hmm. You know, it rains a lot because of the valleys and it's mm -hmm. known for that. But after 20 years, it's paid for itself. Mm. And also, they create more energy than they use. So they're selling it back to the grid. grid. Yes. Right? And it's like seems a little bit obvious that every roof should now be built with that. And even, wasn't it, there was uh, uh, Elon Musk doing his solar panel panels, uh, or roof panels, sorry. So the whole roof is literally solar. Um, and again, generating, mm. that was for then the car, the Tesla, you could plug in your house basically, mm. powers your now car. Seems kind of obvious that that's where the building code should be going mm -hmm. globally, not just even in New Zealand. Yeah. But I don't see anybody jumping up and down and banging that drum and going, you know, we've got a big sun up there that should be mm -hmm. powering most of what we do. Yeah. I don't see that often. Mm. It's a shame, is my point. Mm. Bringing that up uh, as a kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Just even doing that. <laughs> that one seems yeah. obvious though, right? That's yeah. all that it is. Which maybe returns to your New Zealand question of like, why mm. does New Zealand take a while to adopt things? Mm. I think yes. your point is actually really good about the population size. Yeah. Mm. Maybe that's also why the internet is such an important mm. part of the New Zealand psyche. Because if you want to find your people, yeah. you have, and you want to get a big enough community to be able to communicate with them and find your, your niche that's mm. really specific to you, mm -hmm. mm. Um, it's very valuable to New Zealanders to be able to pop outside yeah. of New Zealand yeah. and find those people and then they'll find them within New Zealand too, mm. but it just won't be tons of them, mm. you know? Um, yeah. So perhaps that's, Im that's important. Um, I'd say even just um, the burden of getting things to New Zealand, yeah. uh, whether they be technology skills, we have issues with like brain drain in general, people leaving New Zealand because they mm. can go to those bigger communities and then produce buildings or like concepts for architects to work with that might be taken up. Yep. Yeah. And so like, the, I think there are mm -hmm. a hundred reasons why stuff is difficult mm -hmm. in New Zealand from procurement mm. to community size to, um, yeah, which this community means, size, yeah. tons mm -hmm. of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I do forget how small New Zealand is from a population, but how large it is from a geographical land mass. And you see those things when you see New Zealand laid across Europe and you're like, oh, wow, it is that big. It's, you know, mm. it's, it's the size, I suppose, in landmass of Great Britain or, or the United Kingdom. Mm. Uh, but we've only got five million people here. You know, it's empty, a lot of it. If you <laughs> drive out of Wellington, as you, we all know. So, yeah, you, you're touching on something there. Although, coming back to the brain game point you made, there was a big push a couple of years ago, especially when COVID hit, the idea of brain game instead of drain mm. uh, that we received because New Zealand 
very quickly became an attractive place to go back home to. Mm -hmm. And we had a lot of people who were talented coming back. Did you see any of that impact on the games industries? Um, a little bit. I think there were, yeah. I mean, this is sort of getting into much more nuts and bolts physical reality as opposed to concepts yeah. but I mean they're just issues of people getting into managed isolation in New Zealand so like as yes. much as they want to a hunger but it, the practicalities of it yeah but, but it is certainly like a thing um, I think you know bigger issues at the moment and this is just looking at our industry which I'm sure is being replicated in other places um, so, sorry to bang on about this a little bit but um, so just lots of apologies in advance for this. But, Don't um, apologize, man. You, you, you know, um, Australia uh, has just like recognized the value of the video game industry. Uh, Australia is offering like a 30% tax incentive to anyone who makes video games in Australia right now. Uh, if, oh. you're, if you're in Melbourne, it's an extra 10% on top of that, for example. Oh. So it's 40%. Wow. Oh, wow. New Zealand, zero. Um, mm. And so... It's it's tough. I think there's, mm. there's sort of like, um, and it's great that we've had this focus on keeping New Zealand healthy and doing all of that, and it's so valuable. And it, New Zealand almost feels supercharged by it. Like the foundation is there for it being an appealing place, a safe place, a place that's considered like um, valuable to just be in New Zealand. Yeah. Um, and uh, for our industry anyway, it's sort of like pulling the rug from out from under it because yeah. if you can make video games. 40% cheaper just over there. Um, the drain is not going to be coming in our direction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Put it, it that way. It stops at Melbourne. <laughs> yeah. Then, right? yeah, it's just not going to be. Mm. Um, and it's simple. I mean, like for us, there's, there's so many reasons. It's how much you can pay your staff yeah. and produce an extremely high-risk creative project, uh, which is just... Wow. Those variables. Um, yeah. Those two variables, if you add them together, um, are significant. Um, so we'll see that. And I imagine, honestly, it's probably being replicated in a lot of other ways mm. um, due to our great degree of focus on solving COVID right now, I yeah. would say, like fixing that, and which is amazing. It's mm. kind of what we needed to be doing. And like, you know, New Zealand's being held up as a guiding light for this, yeah. uh, the world, but it also feels like other places are kind of like tipping some other ends of the scale for mm -hmm. us and like, you know, for the private sector and how we do that. But I think even for academics as well like there must there must be just really amazing opportunities overseas that would tempt you uh yeah. because of i mean again australia just offers much more attractive r&d uh funding than new zealand does right now as well um so uh you know if you want to start up just an r&d segment of your company that would really get into some interesting mm. stuff uh it's quite expensive over here yeah um and it was a just on that point it was a, a quote I, I read in an article when, and we'll get the acquisition very soon and who you're now working with, but you said about potentially setting up a shop over in Melbourne, another yeah. studio, another agency side. Are you, where are you at with that? It's something we're thinking about, you know. Right. Uh, it's it's a tough it's a tough thing to do, you know. Our mm. bones are here, our yeah, culture is here, everything is here in New Zealand, so mm. it's it, it is certainly a tough thing. Um, it just simply is it's, it sort of feels um if we didn't it feels almost like this wave that's just going to hit the new zealand games industry and you have to be ahead of it because yeah. otherwise i mean you, you can't produce great games without great talent mm. pretty making those games that's that's where the value sits mm. and if there's just this sort of overall suction moving that way <laughs> you would have to do some really exceptional yeah. things yeah. to 
to get your talent to be here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you, you've just got to strategically handle it, mm. really. Um, so what is the strategies and policies in, that you would like to see in place to help New Zealand at least compete on the even, the even keel with uh, Australia or even beyond? Um, you know, it, it's actually... In the same way as like uh, passive houses in the Nordic regions, like being a thing for so long, yeah. um, Canada's done this forever. Um, wow. I remember being at the Game Awards, which is like our version of the Oscars a few years ago, yeah. and it was just Canadian co- company after Canadian company just winning every. Sure. It was like two thirds of the awards were just Canadian companies. I don't know if I'm overstating or understating it, but that was how but it you, felt. Yeah. You recognized it, yeah. Yeah, with, without me going into actual stats, <laughs> um, and it, it's paid off so immensely. Um, that they've done this and done basically what Australia is doing now um, in Canada. Um, And their industry is ridiculously valuable. Um, There's there's no real downside to it. I think it's just a lack of focus on it. But for us strategically, I mean, all we can do is look to Australia and go, well, I guess we have to make a studio there because otherwise how do we survive as creatives wanting to compensate our people fairly, wanting to compensate them Mm. in relation to what the rest of the world's doing. Um, And more than that, even make extremely high-risk projects, like, Mm. because games can do, like, you never know what they're going to do. And you're you're spending, like, five to ten years on a big video game and then putting it out there uh, to figure out what it does. Um, It's immensely scary. It sits a lot alongside R&D projects, actually. It is, of course. <laughs> it, 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 in, in a lot of ways. Yes. Like, like just, as, just as R&D funding is a thing that's kind of inherent, even like New Zealand does a whole bunch of R&D funding because they understand the risk inherent in that. Yeah. Um, it's, it's that sort of level of risk that you're putting out there right. to figure out if it's, if it's good or not, and particularly if you want to grow an industry. I think really um, stable industries like... Um, if we were uh, Ubisoft and we had our like 10 IPs or whatever they have and all these things which yeah. already have followings and all sorts of stuff like very stable mm. and we can put out like the seventh sequel of something. Of Assassin's Creed. Yeah, yeah the, again, the next right? Assassin's Creed. Like that's great. I mean like look, the, the R&D funding and all that stuff helps to keep those things like buoyant I suppose yeah. you can say. Yeah. But when you're making new IP, yeah. the risk is so high. Yeah. Like it's ridiculously high. It's mm. R&D level high. Um, and then you're expecting a company that is, um, to a large degree, um, independent. Say, like we've had, we've figured that stuff out in other strategic ways. But I'm mm-hmm. just sort of imagining the next wave of New Zealand game development companies, which is, I feel, what we should be focusing on, yeah. um, and giving them the power to take the risk mm-hmm. of creating new IP, which they don't know anybody mm-hmm. likes or yeah. wants, um, but they've got to spend five years doing it. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And how much? Generally, does it cost to make a, a game's title? Uh, honestly, it's the, the, the range is so huge. You know, right. somebody can make a video game by themselves in their bedroom and it can, it can make right. like $100 million. Mm-hmm. Um, and someone else can spend uh, $50 million making a game right. and it makes mm-hmm. $100 million. You know, like yeah. the same thing There's can no occur. Yeah. It's just whether you hit that Sweet spot, note. Right? Yeah. Um, and it works. Uh, yeah, because yeah. someone like you know A44 Games is in the same camp or industry as Pickpock you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. but they're very different business models and approaches yep. to who they make games for, and how, and how many as well, right? So the yeah. variables are very different. Um, whereas you've decided on doubling down on platform games, mm-hmm. 
and rolling out bigger, more multi-user, yeah, much more immersive. Because I remember my experience with video games. Are you a video gamer yourself? Um, Have you had? Um, I'm playing one. <laughs> one, we have one. Okay, do you want to share what it is? Oh, okay, nice. Yeah, All right. yeah, okay. I quite enjoy. I've seen the yeah. adverts. I've got I my castle, and yeah, okay. yeah, I built the soldiers, infantry, cavalry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. But you're you're much younger though. So I remember <laughs> ZX Spectrum was my entry into gaming. You know, because I'm. Spectrum. Bless you, you're so young. Because yeah. I'm 46. <laughs> so, you know, back in the day, ZX Spectrum was this 48K little keyboard thing with uh, the tip. We had to get the tip. Tips were the, the data source. Yeah, we had yeah. to get into the, the computer, and then it went up to 128K. Ooh, step up. <laughs> 128K uh, processing speed. Woo-hoo-hoo. Um That was my gaming, like Chucky Egg and things like that, and, and just really bad gaming, but it was brilliant. And then I remember like leaping forward in my 20s, borrowing my mate's PlayStation 1 mm-hmm. and being blown away by the graphics and gameplay as well as first Tomb Raider experience and, and Resident Evil experiences, PlayStation 2 then. I was so down with it. I was like completing, you know, mm-hmm. Tomb Raider, which is like immense in terms of game hours. Back in those days, you couldn't record game hours, you know? It was just like you had to play it, and that was it. Like, yeah. And you had to die at certain places, and it wouldn't like, save at every point. So it was like, no, I've got to do the whole level again, right? Mm-hmm. That whole thing. But after PlayStation 2, I remember going, i got to stop playing because I'm starting to dream in levels, <laughs> as in jumping around like a Tomb Raider. Because I was playing it too much, and I was the last ever video game I played. Was when I was in my 20s, but I've seen the gameplay now and it's incredible, the immersion yeah. uh, and the nuance of storytelling and the layer, layering and the collaboration and, and the interconnecting idea of, well, you and I can play, but we don't even have to be in the same room, let alone the same country yeah. now, whereas before it was an individual or let's plug in a new one and we'll sit next to each other. And if you're really funky, the four game, you know, with the split screens and stuff like that. But nowadays, the immersion is incredible. Um, could you speak to someone about something about, like, I'd, I'm really interested in your kind of experiences of video gameplay and where did you start and kind of where, where are you now and then what are you hopeful for in the future? Like in terms of A44 specifically or just no, like you, for, for the industry? You know, Derek, like when okay. did you pick up our oh, console? Okay. When did I actually it? pick it up? Um, the first games I can kind of remember was either... It's hard to tell. I think it was either my uncle's Atari that I found right. like okay. in, a, in a cupboard somewhere, like under something, and then figured yeah. out how to plug it into a yeah. in, into a TV and playing like um, oh, there was some like driving game. I think it was called like Knight Rider or something like that. And you just kind of you just kind of go yeah. through these they were just yeah. poles yeah. zipping past you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and there was like a fishing game on that, and there was um, yeah a whole bunch of stuff. Um, uh, but or, or or like Mario Brothers. Nintendo oh, yeah. would be the first. Um, but, you know, growing up, like, very quickly, and just, just as a teenager, you check out everything, you know? Like, Sega. Yeah. Sonic. Uh, I remember, like, at school, um, doing, right. like, the computer lab days, and you could figure out where they had the video games and not actually do your schoolwork <laughs> and just play the video games. So um, there was this thing called the Incredible Machine where you'd basically make these Rube Goldberg machines sort of things and, like, connect up little pieces mm-hmm. and you could... 
you had to get like something across the screen and you'd be putting <laughs> gotcha. like conveyor okay. belts yeah, yeah. and little mice running on wheels and stuff to get it over Brilliant. wherever it had to go um or playing worms uh where you're just trying to yeah kill each other and shoot things at i don't know worms trying to kill each other um <laughs> i'm very bad i don't know majority of that's totally fine yeah. These, yeah. yeah these are um these are a while ago as well. <laughs> um, but, you know, I played like tons of stuff. You know, I, I suppose you could say like as somebody working in video games, just kind of played everything, you know, yeah. um, throughout the years. Um, I think the interesting thing about video games overall is how ridiculously collaborative it is. But even mm. to your point about Pickpock and how like they make different things to what we make, mm. um, you can point to tons and tons of video game companies and it's almost like video games are a term that's too small to describe video games anymore because yeah. at one point it was like you had to have it on your computer or your or your uh, console and buy that and then play it on that and it was something you could kind of like contain in your hands almost mm. whereas now it's everywhere it's on your cell phone yeah. it's uh on your on your dishwasher <laughs> it's on like you know like um their vr headsets there's all sorts of stuff it's on yeah, like billboards and like you know you walk past a real estate agent's like uh, offices and you can like touch the interactive screen and it's mm. doing things um all of that stuff like sort of bleeds between you know microsoft windows coming out and not mm. having to use the dos operating system and actually have functional yeah. interactive things that you're touching and moving um right through to like uh tomb raider say yeah. like when you're playing but like the whole spectrum of those things is so wide i mean you've got museum installations you've got ways to teach people things with interactive mm. learning where um you had to read a book previously now you can go and check it out mm. um you know it's just it's just bigger than your mind could hold like the the potential of what it can do um i think the other side of it is producing it and this is probably why i like it as well is like strategically it's almost too big for any one human to hold in their head because you've got everything that film does if you want to be excellent at all those things and I don't think any game has delivered on that so yeah. to speak like if you want to talk about like the actual narrative strength like nothing's going to be like the best Oscar winning films necessarily yet gotcha. although yeah. things are like pushing it like it's coming mm. um, but at the, the reason is because at the same time of that you've got there's the same time of everything you have to do on the movie you have to make it interactive so now people mm. can touch it from every direction that they possibly want you have to add a whole bunch of programmers to it so now like there's just a whole other discipline that mm -hmm. in film you've got like your r&d programmers like building things or whatever but they're not like on the thing in quite the same way as they are in video yeah. games um and you've got just i mean there isn't a discipline that exists um that like that isn't helpful to a mm. video game like you can do anything like architects are extremely helpful in video games how do you make spaces that people want to move through that they naturally move through in this sort of way that achieves right, this yeah. dramatic thing and mm -hmm. like um somebody who understands that is extremely valuable for just mm -hmm. defining yeah, a space that. um even probably the idea of blowing up a building how it would react or going through yeah running through yeah. something yeah i mean that's literally if if your whole thing was that you could shoot a building and it would all work physically accurately yeah. like mm -hmm. that would be great um you'd need an architect like a physics engineer to exactly. like really do all that kind mm -hmm. of stuff like you have to almost mm -hmm. craft reality because mm -hmm. then your sound design is just as important to figure out like that all the yes. things yeah. work yeah. the same way so the complexity is just off the chart it's like you have to recreate reality mm -hmm. um and then at the same time you've got to make it run at 60 frames per second 4k it's on someone's machine that's at home or as the future is going to have it um streaming even 
from a yeah. data center. Mm-hmm. You just, mm-hmm. no one even has consoles anymore. Mm. So, um, and then also you have to do it where like two people can play with each other on this thing across the world, but there's no way to send that amount of data between two people yep. fast enough. So you have to. Gotcha. It's, the complexity is mind boggling. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of the professions that go into it, like the 10 that you need to make a video game um, of scale, um, are all such deep experts in each of those things gotcha, yeah. um, that it's it's impossible for you to know it all or do it all. Mm. And I think that's why, at least for me, strategically, it's so mm. satisfying because you can mm. never get to the end of this game. Like, there's no mm. way you could mm-hmm. know or do everything, mm. which I imagine is the same as your exploration for knowledge. Like, you can never exactly. know everything. Mm. Exactly, um, yeah. Yeah, which is just a... I guess it's helpful for us as humans to continue growing, <laughs> yes. to be engaged. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Collaborate, yeah. yeah. As you were talking about this, is like the nature of what you're doing is multidisciplinary, right? Yes. Interdisciplinary. You should bring people from different disciplines to make something work. And mm. I think it's what basically, and specifically, what I'm going to uh, to work more on. Um, you know what happens. So I need people, you know, material scientists, mm. um, you know, industrial designers, uh, coders, programmers, um, oh, you yeah. know. Um, someone uh, who know about um, um, someone who knows about like plant um, physiology and ecophysiologists course, yeah. bringing all of them always. yes chemistry um, yeah bringing everyone you know ra- you know just grouping together to make something work and that's interesting because you know each of us we know only about this bit right mm. compared to the um, um, the knowledge like you mm. know but do you find that there are conditions that you can create for collaborations just as much as there are conditions and where that, those things don't work? And, and the muddy elements always are the humans. Mm. Like it's easy strategy, right? Because you can write it out, you can plan it, you can do your charts and flow diagrams or whatever it is and you can plan it. Uh, but planning is guessing. Once you throw humans into the mix, everything kind of gets um, a bit muddy. Yeah. So there's a condition around human conditioning, right? And maybe that's a, a time to bring up like the idea of like leadership and trust mm-hmm. in a collaborative slash creative environment. Like from a perspective of building, well, architects have to do that because they have to take into consideration so many elements and disciplines, multidisciplines that's again, true. and then throw that down and go, what does everybody else think? And then, as I understand it, architects are never finished because once they put the plans down and then everybody has their little thing, and, oh, yeah, we've got just it's constantly a iterating. Yeah, and, and even when yeah. they start building, right, yeah. you can go visit the site and yep. start, oh, okay, right, we're going to have to, okay, so if you use a different material, whatever. Is that probably the same for video game making? Because I would imagine you start with this idea. How... Well, let's apply it in terms of Ashen, oh, Ashen. the game. Mm-hmm. Does that does that look like exactly what you would, and plays like exactly what you started out imagining? Uh, I've got like five, I've got like five theories. Like, like <laughs> just, just as you were like moving through right. all those things, I was like, sorry oh, this, if I bounced around this, this, this. Um, Maybe I'll start really quickly, just just so I can get a few of them out of my head that I can focus on Ashen <laughs> sure. and what it, and how it actually became what it was, or like what you expect from a project to be. But um, I think, like, uh, because we're dealing with a bunch of humans to make mm. any endeavor, like, that you could imagine, any collaborative endeavor that you could have, you're relying 
on people and that was like it returns to like the faith in humanity question that yeah, it was it talking about and mm. how you have this intent to build something so mm. you want a whole bunch of people to help you research something and they are each of these really deep um, experts at it but how much are they supporting you when you do that because one of them has uh, family obligations that mean that they can't for some reason you know they can start but now it's like they want to look after someone else who they are probably that special special person in that person's life. Uh, they're that hero, and they're not necessarily your hero. So, <laughs> or at least yeah. on, on, a, on a hierarchy, and you can understand completely why. Like you can empathize with them why, but now you're trying to achieve this goal. And so that falls away for some reason, and you don't have this person, but maybe there's only like three of them in the world, and the other two are taken up, you know? And that's just like a constant problem. I think it's sort of why Rome fell, you know? Like there must be, it's just, it's humans. And, yeah. and somehow things destabilizing and, and, and having those sorts of mm-hmm. issues while at the same time you have people that go over and above and they do more than you could have even expected. It's mm-hmm. just this crazy um, thing that you have to manage in addition to all of the complexity that we're talking about with each of our yeah. disciplines of like all the stuff you need to know, all this knowledge, all these uh, people you have to trust with all, this, all these different different skills. There's the other layer of they're all human and they're just as human mm-hmm. as you are and you're just as human as they are. And they all have these needs that you can also deeply empathize with. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's interesting because I think the final point, I'll, I'll come back to it just because I'll, I'll, I'll sort of leave that one hanging a little bit because the other point is or even in diversity of opinions and like we were talking about, yes, you need these, these people because they bring this skill, that skill, that skill. Well, in video games, you need diverse perspectives as well, mm-hmm. which almost steps away from you've got this personal, like my family, my who I am, all that kind of stuff. You've got this strategic, like, I'm skilled at this or that, like, I'm this kind of scientist or I'm this kind of uh, programmer, whatever you, you could possibly need. But there's also this other thing is, like, where do they sit in society? Like, what mm. perspective of society are they bringing? And I imagine if you're trying to uh, create architecture that serves a world of humans, you not only need their expertise and their personal like uh, input and like dedication, but you need their cultural perspective as well. And so that sits in every demographic you can imagine. Um, unfortunately, the truth is that it's unattainable. You can never have a project that is diverse enough. Like it's impossible to ever achieve because you need like yeah. one in every hundred people in the whole planet somehow making decision-making by committee mm. that produces something good, which I believe is impossible. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, not the, the hundred people thing is actually maybe possible. The decision-making sure, yeah. by committee being good, impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> we know enough projects that <laughs> yes. failed because of that. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so it's just this really interesting uh, matrix, like mm. so many layers of it that you want to be good because mm. um, when I speak to video games in these terms, it's like, Yes, you're, you're wanting to make this technically sound thing which does all these yeah. technical marvels and they're great. But then all you're producing is a theme park ride. You're producing like a roller coaster at that yeah. point. And you need these people to be dedicated, but also you need them to create a reality that yeah. people believe, that people yeah. want to live in if mm-hmm. you're creating spaces or mm-hmm. theories for spaces. But if you're making a video game, same deal. Like you want them to want to be there and to relate to things there and... Mm-hmm. Even for me, like uh, something I'm really cognizant of is I only ever see one sliver and my sliver is really thin. And so I need these other people to bring their thoughts and their things into it. Um, Such an interesting challenge because everybody's also going to be rowing in the same direction. (laughs) (laughs) You've got these these different um, sort of layers to it. 
which I guess brings me to like say Ashen and what I envisioned at the start mm. um, was absolutely not what it became at the end, <laughs> not at all. And the, the whole point of it is, um, I guess like a theory that I have about this is that um, the thing you're making is not important. Uh, the people who are making it are important. Mm. Their investment in it is what you need. It doesn't matter what you choose to make. We could literally right now just go like each pick a word and then we'll make a video game out of that. Mm. The point would be if you can get these people on a personal level, on a cultural level and on a like uh, expertise level all lined up in the right way to produce that. And if you can get a group of brilliant people excited about your idea and bring it to life, you're going to make a brilliant thing and it really doesn't matter what it is. You know, there's like um, a game Katamari Dynasty, which is just, it's like a little guy rolling around a ball and starts collecting like paper clips and rolling them, like small things and rolling them in a ball. And then eventually it's like That's houses really, and yeah, buildings yeah. and also, and you're just rolling, you know, like someone just came up with that. And then a bunch of brilliant people like crafted it to the mm. point and, and were invested in it and made this into like one of the best games ever. Okay, yeah. And so, um, I love that. It's, it's just idea, about the people. Yeah. Mm. Of trusting the gathering that you've created. Yeah. But yeah. you still had to start somewhere, right? You still had to create a catalyst or catalyzing moment. Yeah, I for mean, people then to gather around. You need a vision holder for sure. Oh, you have yeah. to, and I mean, like that's the other side of it is you've all got to row in the same direction because mm. like you can't just be sort of like it can't be herding cats the whole yeah. time. Like everyone can't just be running in different directions. Yeah. Um, if you're trying to um, create theories for sustainable buildings and uh, emulating nature, you can't have somebody over here going like, "Hey, look." I really like heavy concrete because it makes mm. me feel safe. And that's cool. I want to just build uh, bunkers, mm. you know? Mm. And like without that in mind, mm. um, that person may have the expertise which would help you greatly, but they're mm. not like culturally aligned with you or personally aligned. Like you've got to get all of that moving mm. in the same direction nonetheless. And you need perspectives. You need the, all those diverse perspectives, diverse speaking from skill and culture and personal mm, to be put into yeah. a mission objective and I mm. suppose as like the creative lead of any project or mm -hmm. just lead of any project mm -hmm. you have to define what that directive is mm. and mm -hmm. that's also like yeah a really tough part mm -hmm. of it for sure mm -hmm. um, yeah. which again you know returning to Ashen um, I think uh, it, was, it was great because the whole team were involved in that and um, excited about that but you don't it never ends up being what you think it would be like. Mm. Um, and that's a great thing. Like if it was only what I could think of, it would be so much less than right. what it could be with well, all these people. That's a nice way of thinking about it. Contributing. Mm. Probably same with architects, right? They, at some degree, got to let go of their babies and allow influence from the client, I suppose, yes. yeah. from other practitioners around it. And yeah, the best, as I understand it, the best... Uh, architectural houses are like the Zaha Hadids and the BIGs of this world have yeah. this confluence of talent that they're deep specialisms but they work neatly, neatly together and they allow each other to shine but to guide each other into different arenas. Definitely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. That's the same thing. Actually, however, there is a downside to that as well. 
uh, which is not really good. Um, sometimes um, you design something. Um, you know, I, I totally agree with um, what you said. Mm -hmm. um, the um, outcome of a project that comes from collaboration and cooperation, you know, uh, with specialists and people from different fields, uh, it most of the time is amazing. But sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, um, they, you know, something that is created at the end is not something that is built at the end is not actually what you even want to mention is one of your works, you know, no, that building, no, mm -hmm. I haven't designed it. And it happens, Right. it happens okay. in architecture. Yeah. So um, personally, I've had the experience of, okay. um, yeah, um, just they've been, I think I was lucky I had only, it was a, a one, one of thing, but I designed a building, um, it was a city hall. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so uh, like the final limit mm. with what I had designed in the beginning, we compared them. You yeah. had no idea that even they are like the same building. And, um, but I can imagine the learning that you took from that, the lessons, right? You know, mm. you probably extracted a lot more from that than yes, other yeah, things like. Yeah. How I imagine you, you have to be quite brave as well to go do another mm. project after it because <laughs> yes. you have to you have to have full belief in the next project right, yeah. uh, which is a skill yeah, yeah. yeah. exercise in bravery <laughs> yeah. yeah hope in in the mm. previous one yeah yeah uh, really are you still fun. lecturing by the way um, or you just yes. paused at a moment before you um, go back I've paused actually okay um, I might start lecturing again okay. but not sure actually at the moment so it's something that might happen not I was just going to ask about yep. your students mm -hmm. and their approach to both the work and their, because we all hear a lot, you know, the millennials of this generation, much more economically aligned to values and, and things like that, and especially around climate change. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Are you seeing that in your students in terms of how they approach their work? Um. Kind of, sort of. I think like um, uh, there is a common awareness of mm. the, you know, uh, global warming, you know, and you know, the, you know, the climate change and the measures that need to be set in place. And actually, I think students are, yeah, students are um, how they see um, architecture. Mm. Um, I think their mindset is kind of like now more uh, directed towards designing buildings that, as you say, like um, uh, passive houses, right. you know, okay. they're very interested in that topic and they ask many questions in class and sometimes they challenge you, you know, right. uh, as a lecturer. And they, um, I remember that uh, one of my students asked something about uh, the, um, I think the effect of human behavior on thermal you know, um, and like energy use and, you know, and it was actually a very complicated topic. Right. Uh, I had a, one of, a, a colleague of mine in the PhD office, you know, dedicated like four years of his research and, you know, um, finding the um, relationship between the human behavior and how much energy we could save and, you know, and um, it, it's really interesting. Some mm. Sometimes the students ask questions um, that, um, Sometimes we don't have the answer for that because it's very to the point and very specific and yeah. requires, you know, expertise. But that shows that they are, you know, part of this movement. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah. 
Did you uh, test some of your framework with the students? Uh, pardon? Did you test the framework? Oh, not yet. No. Right, that's no. next. No. Okay. Yeah. But, yeah. Because what's your that's hope for that? You've written a book. Yes, um, I wrote a book. Yeah. Warming with wolves, yeah. cooling with cacti. Yes. Eating with, <laughs> Eating with wolves. Eating with wolves. Eating with wolves. Yeah, cooling with Warming with wolves. Sorry, just for the alliteration. Warming with wolves and cooling with cacti. Oh, sorry. Yes, See, I yes. made up the alliteration <laughs> in my brain. Oh, no, sorry. No What's your hope for it? What, where do you want it to, to go and what do you mm -hmm. want it to do? Mm -hmm. So, um, like in terms of like um, lecturing... So, no, just yeah. the, the book and the framework the book, yeah. and what you're what's hoping. What's the next step? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what's the next step? So, um, you know, now I have a list of strategies um, that plants um, and animals use for thermoregulation. Now that we have this list in front of us, um, what I want to do is just to start from the first one you know, and mm. try and go deep into these strategies. When you say and the that, first one, what do you mean? Uh, so there's a list, yes. right? The framework. So okay? give us the list. So, yeah. it, so well, it's like the there's one, a list. The okay. One. And not the first one, actually. So, them. you know, I have a list. Um, um, so the, the, the strategies have been categorized mm -hmm. in, I think, four groups. Increasing heat gain, decreasing heat gain. Increasing yeah. heat loss, decreasing heat loss. Avoiding heat gain, avoiding heat loss, right? right. And... Um, um, so at the moment we don't have any priority, right? Because what we are going to do is just to, um, to look at the first principle, you know, the first strategy uh, and see if there are um, numerical evidence or, you know, computational techniques that we could apply you know, based on that strategy to our buildings. So it's like a kind of like jumping from, from one strategy into another strategy. Mm -hmm. We don't have any priority at the moment. And the reason that there's no priority is basically plants, um, most of the time, um, you know, um, they do a couple of things at the same time. Right. right. Yeah, the complementary. Um, yes, so the complementary. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So and it's probably like, situational as well. Yes. Depends on, yeah. Yeah. So, for example, as... Um, when they respond to light at the same time they you know they do it in a way that would affect how they respond like to humidity or mm. you know airflow so it's like uh, yeah just a combination of those and that's why we don't you know we have no priority at the moment but you know we haven't started the project yet you know um but definitely you know i'm not a plant ecophysiologist and uh, at this stage i don't know um, you know, which approach uh, might be better to start from. And that's why we're going to have a researcher from that field. Uh, someone's, yeah, I have to, I have, to have um, a couple of research assistants. Um, and um, basically their role is to suggest because that's mm. the area of expertise that mm. where we can start from and where we have to look for the information. Mm. Um, but the, 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 the good point about the THBA, that's the name of the um, framework, uh, it was TBA first, and I remember that one of my friends said, to be announced. <laughs> and oh, I yeah, said, no. TBA, right. <laughs> so I just, you know, thermobioarchitecture framework. That the was the name of it. Yeah, that's how it right. kind of like changed to THBA. Mm -hmm. um, before the THBA, um, we were not sure what are the solutions in nature, you know. Mm. So there was scattered um, information around, you know, different researchers have 
done things, but uh, we needed biologists and a group of biologists from different fields to confirm that the list of the strategies that we've brought together is comprehensive. Mm. Um, so now there is a certainty around what's there and how it could be used kind of for architecture. Um, yeah, so the next step is just to, um, yeah, to dive deep and um, see what we can explore. And, you know, sometimes when I talk about my <coughs> research, people just say, oh, crazy, <laughs> you know, why do you want to do that? Oh. Some people say, okay. uh, but, but, you know, I always say, you know, um, just think of the pe first person who said that uh, we can land on the moon. Mm. And I said, oh, it's not possible, you know, and why do we need to do that? Yeah. So um, I think what I, I'm going to do, actually, I'm not the first one who has done it. There are mm. lots of research. Um, that, um, you know, um, are conducted around the world um, and many researchers actually that have dedicated their lives and, um, you know, just on this specific area. Um, but it's, you know, it's all about like bringing these bits of things together and building upon those and create something that might work. Yeah. And the biomimicry NZ? Biomimicry channel for that, I suppose, yes. would it be? Yes, yeah. yes. And we are um, uh, at the moment uh, an official member of the Biomimicry Institute Global Network. Um, Congratulations! So thank you. Um, mm. it, it's really, it's uh, it's really good. Um, it's an honor to work with, mm. you know, other organizations um, um, around the world, um, different representatives and. Um, yeah, just um, we have meeting together uh, sometimes and um, yeah, just um, I'll say exchanging ideas and yep. uh, seeking uh, seeking avenues for collaboration, cooperation. Um, yeah, yeah. And each of those groups actually have like they are uh, they've got um, they are experts in different fields. However, uh, all of us like you know kind of. You know, under one umbrella of mm. biomimicry inspiration from nature, but you know we can get inspired from nature from different, you know, perspectives, health and well-being, mm. um, you know, energy. Yeah, I'm kind of curious how how that feels to have this group of people that you can mm. interact with because mm. I imagine you know talking to us, of course, you have to explain to us like mm -hmm. the, how mm -hmm. to draw with crayons because we have to we have to know the basics yeah. and then i imagine like your students are like a level above that and then you get your um uh colleagues in new zealand mm -hmm. who you know there's probably a couple that, that that sort of really get what you're doing but you still have to do like a lot of um bringing them along with the idea but yes. you get this group now that you can talk to that are um on the same wavelength as you researching the same things as you do you find that to be like empowering do you find it exciting oh like it's how, very how, how exciting yes it's very exciting so uh, that was a good thing that um you know just you mentioned now um a couple of um days ago so being part of this you know global network you get the opportunity to you know meet other people and i got um, a message uh from um someone um a biomimicry specialist and mm. researcher who has her own company in the US. So um, she wrote to me and said that they're going to design a high-rise building in Austin and um, they, they want to design like these green balconies. And um, actually she, she had 
we are going to chat about that, you know, and it's very exciting that you receive like these messages in your inboxes, yeah. inbox and, you know, it's, it's yeah, it's amazing. And, um, well, yeah. on that point, what has TEDx done? Has that helped? Because oh. oh. recently, um, <laughs> you probably saw, but spoke at TEDx Pipitia. How, how was that as a, an experience, but also a way to connect much larger into a global community using the TEDx yes, yes. platform, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, that was fascinating. That was a fascinating, actually, experience. Um, and um, so you were saying about sometimes you have to kind of like simplify things, you know, to bring mm. the people along. That's and awesome. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> For us, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, I don't know what you're talking about. And <laughs> perhaps, you, you know, we have like, but the art is to just uh, write it in a way that would be understandable for everyone. And I think that was something that I, that was the skill, you know, that I yeah. developed um, for, you know, just doing TEDx. Uh, amazing team. And I remember the first um, um, draft was like, what did you mean by that word? Because, mm -hmm. I, you know, I used to just bring these biological, um, you know, words. Yeah, Endothermy heterothermy and you know you see like these eyes just popping out with, with you just <laughs> and, um, and you know um, so so it was very useful because um, I had to break down a complex topic into portions in a way that they're understandable for everyone and bringing like um, examples from yeah, like you know the daily and, metaphors yeah. and examples I um, I had an example, um, I talked about my cat, um, That's right. yeah, how it just goes, you know, get closer to the fire and comes back and um, it's the very honest, everyone, uh, termites, yeah, termites, great example. Yeah. so yeah, yeah, it's kind of like people can relate to it, right? Mm. Uh, that's, that's quite a skill, um, sometimes I think, um, yeah, uh, that was great, that was a great experience, mm. yeah. And it validates, right, yes. from a perspective of TEDx speaker. Still has some kudos, I think, and it helps, you know, because it goes under the TEDx brand then yes. or the TED brand. Exactly. Uh, and it does go global. Reaches, and yeah. You know, it does reach out to people. Exactly. And it, I think it, it will aid your... Mm -hmm. your uh, of course, yeah, of course, of course. Mission. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I had a couple of like, um, I had a couple of, uh, you know, um, messages and emails from people around the world that just contacted me because they had watched the... Um, my talk and um, they were curious to know mm. what this framework about exactly and yeah. how it works if there's an online version of it as you just mentioned yeah. at the beginning that they could access um, yeah mm. yeah it was amazing yeah. well I know from previous experience of TEDx's you know some of the speakers they'll talk to me today so I still get an emails <laughs> it's like that was like eight years ago, right? <laughs> to get people to because yeah. you just don't know where it does permeate and go to, exactly. and the algorithms throw it up mm. for you, or on a search randomly you might come up. Um, mm. So it is wonderful to get your voice and utilize the platform. Exactly. Yeah. Well done. Thank you. Just tell something funny. Go on. Yeah. So um, the other day I just found that uh, TEDx. Um, um, on Facebook, Facebook TEDx profile. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know how they do it, but uh, I'm not. I'm not sure if they do it for every speaker or is it like they choose like you know randomly. But I just noticed that um, you know um, they've they've just um, put my talk um, in 
on the page and wow mm-hmm. i just went and i just found that like about 50 people have um, pushed this um a smiley yep. you know uh, emoji and <laughs> what's it about and i just found the comment oh that was hilarious so one of the people it was it was i was like i laughed you know it, it was um so i'm talking about like the title is bridging biology and architecture and uh, this comment was uh, this is um uh, what you're talking about is already exists um it is called tree houses <laughs> <laughs> wow congratulations <laughs> yeah, yeah inventing tree houses but you know so you know that that was funny that was funny you know and you kind of like say it seems that the person has only just looked at a title bridging architecture and yeah you know and probably watched the first couple of minutes where you talk about the houses (laughs) oh that was so funny but um yeah it's a challenging (laughs) idea condensing something like a phd down to a 14 minutes talk Mm-hmm. Right. Was very difficult. It, it's, it's yeah. I remember a couple of our past speakers turning up with their first drafts, mm-hmm. and forty-five minutes later, you're in, and they're still <laughs> speaking and going, "Okay, this is going to be an interesting <laughs> one to uh, edit down or assist in editing down." Because some people, yeah, they find it really hard to condense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's supposed to be that the best illustration is the idea of concentrating, like. It's not a dilution, it's a concentration, concentration down. Yeah. Rather than, because a lot of people go, well, if I cut all that out, it's like, well, no, you concentrate <laughs> into great metaphors or examples or mm-hmm. lived experiences mm-hmm. and trust the intellect of the viewer to a certain degree. You don't have to go into the minutiae and trust the viewer. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I really like that engagement, though. Like, just seeing that somebody engaged yes. and they engaged in their own way. And it's yeah. funny. Yes, exactly. I, yeah. I've heard, like... Um, comedians sort of like just describe telling a joke is like you know having like a fiery hoop to jump through on a on a, on a motorbike with a ramp on a on a moving train <laughs> and get that and, and that's what telling a joke's like and yeah. for this person to respond to your thing with a joke yeah. that makes you laugh is amazing you know it's yeah, such an yeah, interesting no. interaction to be able to have mm. because yes. it makes people want to re- exactly. watch it which is yes. what you want and like that's the, a good the, point and, and yeah. that engagement yeah it, it just sits as like a connecting tendril into your real message which yeah. hopefully that's what the talk is into your book as well you know or into work yeah. that you continue doing mm. in the future as you said with people still contacting you from years ago mm. um those comments are great, though. Like, sometimes the comments are just I the love best it. thing yeah. about, I love it. <laughs> about things. It's, it's really fun. Yeah. And I really love the part, congratulations, <laughs> you've just reinvented Blast. That was amazing. Yeah. There's a certain, like, internet way of speaking as well, where people, like, like one word condenses into, like, so oh much meaning God. now because yes. of, it probably relates to some yeah. other yeah. thing that, yeah. 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 Or the emojis so now we got the access emojis, to, which yes. is so more. Well, yeah, I got, yeah. I've got... A question for you. Mm. Just uh, curious to know where Ashen started from. So, what was the source of inspiration? Mm. Um, uh, I think this one's quite simple. It was just um, in the same way that um, I wanted to work on a certain type of video game. It wasn't in New Zealand. It was just um, what do I feel like playing right now that if I went to the store and tried mm. to get a video game or uh, bought it online, I just couldn't 
play. Mm. And so um, there's a game called Journey, which um, I always recommend anyone playing because it's great, um, where basically you're just this um, wanderer, I guess, and you're, you're kind of just moving through this world. And um, the whole idea with it is um, it's got this passive multiplayer um, experience. I love which, it. Which is sort of like what we did in Ashen. Mm. Uh, but in this case, there's no real fighting. There's like a little bit of sort of stuff, but you're more or less just moving through this world and other people can hop in and play with you and assist you um, while you're doing it. And then it's quite a short game, uh, but really beautiful game. And so I looked at that and um, also was playing Dark Souls at the same time, which is super grueling, tough combat, just get killed at every turn, um, really dark. And I was like, how can I mix these two things? Because I loved both of them. Um, And so the idea was, well, make a game that's about this sort of like really tough grueling combat but have people mm. be able to join you without you having to like invite your friends in to help you with something or whatever just a stranger is going to mm. hop in you won't even know if they're like a computer controlled character or a player mm. and they'll just hop in and that's help tough. you solve mm. things or help you fight this tough thing um, and then move through with all of it being like a theory of flow it's like how do you keep people just mm. moving through in the way that like if you watch mm. a movie it doesn't stop because you now hit a bit of friction mm. like you can it just keeps moving mm. and even if there's a part you didn't like it moves past it mm-hmm. same thing with this it's like someone mm. can help you move past something that was like a bit mm. tough or a bit painful or whatever and you just get mm. through it and keep going um so that was the theory i suppose if we could get into the details a little mm. bit but the real uh, reason was like it was so simple because it was just what's out there that I can't play right now that I would want to play and mm. just make that which mm. I think for anything I mean I, I would even imagine like within um, architecture it must apply mm. like what would you imagine a building could be mm. for yourself if you were making your own which is probably why I asked you like at the mm. start it was like what are the limitations like or what are the things you could do that you would relate to right now um, perhaps there's not a huge amount because your stuff is so far mm-hmm. advanced. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe it's more like what do you hope you could do in 20 years or something mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. if people start picking it up. Um, but you have, to, you have to manifest it. You have to bring it into reality. And so uh, a game like that may not have existed without mm-hmm. like pushing that exact mm-hmm. idea. Um, mm-hmm. And then compounded by the fact that uh, people take it and make it into something else, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> something other than what you envisioned yeah. necessarily. Yeah. But... Um, kind of magical yeah on its yeah. on its journey yeah. um yeah do you get dreams like do you have dreams about like you know a vision of a new game or you know adding something to your game because i used to i, I used to imagine my buildings you know get this i have a good imagination and in my dreams i you know could kind of like i don't know it was like i had the whole knowledge of designing that specific building i know every details of that building but you know um yeah that was interesting but most of the time anyway it just it's gone yeah um if anything and honestly maybe it's just what i'm sort of focused on my my dreams and visions um sit more in terms of like what the company could be, how it could support the people oh, okay. more than the actual specific the creative actual. project. Mm-hmm. Um, they, 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 do, they are generally born in like, you know, the, the projects that we've done so far, including the one we're working on now is something I've kind of um, planted the seed, I suppose you can mm-hmm. call it, because I yep. even hesitate to call it created or whatever people might call those things because mm-hmm. you've got so many collaborators involved with it. Mm-hmm. But at least you've like planted the seed right mm-hmm. at the start that lets everything 
begin. Mm -hmm. um, but as I say, like returning to the theory at the start, I think it doesn't matter what it is. Mm -hmm. Like for me, I look at it in terms of what could a team be excited about working on? Yep. And mm -hmm. what do these people mm -hmm. want to invest themselves in mm -hmm. and try and plant that? Mm -hmm. um, so that the tricky part ends up being uh, sustaining that over like a five mm -hmm. to 10 year yes. mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. period that people are gonna remain um, excited about it and, and, and doing it. But mm -hmm. um, that gets into the minutia of just running mm -hmm. things in mm -hmm. general, I suppose. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, it's, it, it is a, it's a, such an interesting question. And as I say, like stuff that I just wouldn't have anticipated Mm -hmm. about myself that I would genuinely get so mm -hmm. much from empowering other people to do. Mm -hmm. um, what a great discovery though. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, yes. yeah. you start one place and go through it and it's mm -hmm. like, oh. And especially if you have a propensity of talent in it as well. Yeah. It's like, I okay, I'm getting some reward from it now as well. Yeah. yeah. I did have a question, a random one about the rise of NFTs and how that mm -hmm. is also starting to encroach a little bit in in some of the discussion around nfts or the use of cryptocurrencies uh within video gaming um have you have any kind of thoughts about that and opinions haven't, haven't really looked into it a huge amount you know yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm terrible in that i like hardly watch the news and i don't really keep up with current trends because i just get so like head well, first <laughs> into like what i'm what i'm doing i just like it kind of takes my whole yeah. like mind to just hold all of this information all at once so yeah. i just dive right in um the one thing i do worry about with that which maybe even relates to 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 your uh research is that we're creating something of value that is requiring more computational power. So now we're, um, I don't know, you, like an image or something. Mm -hmm. uh, it could have just been something you just downloaded and looked at, uh, less protected and all that kind of stuff. But now you have to go through like a blockchain thing yeah. to do whatever it may be, mm -hmm. uh, whether it just be mining Bitcoin is like the simplest mm -hmm. way to look at it. But now that's using power. Uh, yeah. that you never used to have to use. Like, I can't remember the numbers for this, but I believe it's like, you know, scary. If, if you got rid of blockchain today, you'd, like it, it, it's kind of using the same amount of power as a small country right mm. now, just yeah. by itself, and not doing anything mm. with it. It's just solving equations. In it's validating the proof. Yeah. It's, it's the proof of work, right? It's validating that that digital whatever yeah. is what it is. Yeah. Which is, yeah. which is kind of crazy um, that, you know, we're looking at like emissions and all sorts of stuff from cars to try and do it. But now a new thing comes out and it's just like, cancel. Yeah, like we, we, we just, like, oh, dude. Yeah. Um, so, so that's sort of like philosophically is, right. is quite hard to get on board with that. Yeah. Like it feels yeah. like a step back. But there's um, new games, right? Entering the realm yeah. where it's based on NFTs or cryptocurrencies or yeah. even loot boxes and things like that where, yeah. um, you can imagine, you don't have to stretch your imagination too far, but there's a video game where within it you can skin up yourself and you create an NFT from that or buy another person to put yourself on an NFT and then there's certain guns or certain access to a digital realm you got to pay for in cryptocurrencies. You can see the bleed over really yeah. simply. I, I, I love the validation of it or the authenticity that it produces because mm. I think it's an issue with like um, digital things that can be infinitely copied anywhere yeah. and now they can't or there's some kind of gateway to copying it. Um, yeah, it's such a tough thing. Like I, yeah. I honestly haven't looked at I it enough I yeah, think to give any <laughs> kind of um, yeah. 
in, in any, any kind of real opinion. Yeah. I, I think just on the surface, the only thing I've noticed about it that I kind of think about is just why are we using power for this? Yeah. You know, why are we using things that are harming the planet for this sure. yeah, um, you, new thing? And we're all on board with that idea. We got we can't we got to start right. And it feels like it didn't start right, this whole cryptocurrency yeah. business. They're starting wrong in terms of the validation. And it was cheaper at the start, right? You didn't yeah. have huge farms like farming this stuff. Like yeah, it started off as a yeah. bit of a different different thing. Um, it was, yeah. Because you could do it on just a few people on their home computers. And then it was yeah. a thousand people on their home computers even doesn't really make a difference. But yeah. now it does because it's much, much yeah. bigger. The other question I wanted to ask you, which is really random. I came across a TV series probably last year, end of last year. And for some reason, I just got into it and you know, you did that classic box set thing where you just watch them all online. Um, something called Arcane, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which I didn't realize. Have you seen Arcane? No. It's an it's a animation mm -hmm. slash CGI in terms of how it's, but mm -hmm. it's animation. Mm -hmm. uh, but what I didn't realize is the backstory to it. So it was like a 10-part animation series. It was like a proper full, and I, I got into it, got in, it was like wonderful. I didn't realize it was based on a, on a video game. Oh. So mm. it was kind of reversing back because mm. I love the transmedia idea of mm. now we don't have to start with one thing, which historically would be in a book. Mm. And the book became a film and the film became a, a video game at yeah. some point, you know, whereas now we're starting in different places and going and reverting across. Have you got any kind of like, a, well, just opinions on that and, and in terms of the video game industry, seeing any of that trend? Uh, well, I've played thousands of hours of League of Legends, you know, so like... Which um, is where it's from, right, yeah. Jace and... Um, uh, Jinx. Jinx, Jinx. Were bo I was both mains at both of those, so I got yeah. like probably a thousand hours in each of those characters, and wow. there's, there's a lot of characters. So it was actually quite fun, because Jace is a weird character in the game in general. Yeah. I don't know what the current meta is, but when I played it, it was okay. more like... Um, because it's a competitive game, and you've got like... I can't remember how many characters to choose from tons of them and um some of them like people know are good you know because you're hopping into teams mm. with it's five person teams and some of the characters are really good people know what they're doing your opponent knows how to like what's happening with you uh, your team knows how to use your skills in relation to themselves jace is not that he's always like a peripheral character that people were like why are you doing this like and you'd almost pick that character and people would just rage like they would just go insane because they were just like why are you doing this you're ruining our game but i always pick him and then go in um at least when i was playing it i, I got a lot of hate for playing jace mm -hmm. um but it was but it was a cool character like i played a lot it was interesting to see that it like he made it into like being something in that mm -hmm. um jinx on the other hand is is pretty solid always like was a, yeah. was a really good character um but it's it is funny to see i mean the witch is another ex example of that of like Oof, um, yeah. video game stuff uh, just going wider um it's great i mean you know it, it sort of stands to reason even just that um like how much video games are bleeding into mm. everything but I think it even just um, probably more than anything speaks of the maturity of video games now because books yeah. get translated into films. Um, video games get translated into stuff as well. Now. Yeah. I suppose there's Assassin's mm -hmm. Creed. Uh, Assassin's yeah, Creed of course. Uh, movies. World of Warcraft. 
Hitman, yeah. World of Warcraft, all sorts of stuff is getting made into linear media. As I, I guess, I think linear li- media. I feel like linear media is like <laughs> a, from a video game perspective, we'd be like, oh, that's linear media. Whereas, like, for looking the other direction, you'd be like, that's interactive media. Yeah. So we've like made our own words okay. for what that is, um, and it's it's interesting for um, stuff to be moved between. Um, honestly, mm. seems completely natural. Um, if I put my strategic brain on, mm. it simply sits as like you've created IP. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. IP could be a comic book like Spider-Man, which yep. then moves into uh, TV or, or mm-hmm. cartoons and TV, then video games. Mm-hmm. Like, so it just goes through everything. I'm sure there must be Spider-Man novels out there. You know, yep. they have yeah. to be. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely. And so you, you get that whole yeah. um, universe that people can immerse themselves mm-hmm. in. The IP, there's a hook, right? And we had uh, Clive Spink in earlier episodes from Pukeko Pictures yeah. over in Miramar, who's... Um, taking on IP left, right, and center, but creating it in-house. But more recently, in the last couple of years, took on the Thunderbirds, and as an old IP idea, but then created a CGI kids mm-hmm. thing with lots of material around it, material mm-hmm. wealth around yeah. it, because it's such an established franchise. Mm-hmm. And, and he was talking about, it's the IP that's the key. Yep. Whatever it turns into is secondary. It's yeah. hooking it as a, you yeah. need a solid story idea. Mm-hmm. I think everything around. I think the, the question is, and it, it sits in terms of authenticity, which maybe NFTs and blockchain and all that kind of stuff actually relates to this, is that um, have you got something that people care to watch, yeah. like care to look at? And they can care for a ton of reasons. Uh, Orson Welles made mm-hmm. movies, got a name. When you've got a new Orson Welles movie coming out, there's authenticity just because it's got his name attached to it, right? Um, well... Now Spider-Man sits as something that mm. people want to know what's happening with the next Spider-Man thing, and they really care. Um, it was something I actually learned about giving talks, um, was the first thing that you do um, as, I guess, uh, someone who's made video games, giving talks, is you show your video game. You don't do the talk and then show your video game, <laughs> um, because people don't care. Yeah. Show until, they want to experience Yeah, Yeah, yeah they, they just want to know, like, what yeah. are you talking about, because... Um, I gave a talk where I went into sort of like, this is the stuff we did, these are all the challenges we had, blah, 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 going through this whole, like, for me, in my mind, like a roller coaster <laughs> in terms of, like, how we produced this thing mm-hmm. at the end, but it was before we'd released the thing, so it was, we, we were showing right. something yeah. um, uh, that no one had seen and it was sort mm-hmm. of behind closed doors, and um, it was interesting because at the end, showed the thing, and then you see everybody, like, sit up and be like, oh, cool, okay, this is what we're talking about, and then at the end, you get right. Q&A, which is um, so indicative of you having done it wrong yeah. because um, no one cared. <laughs> because right. then you've got Q&A at the end where they ask questions that you'd answered in your speech, but they were like kind of on their phones or something. <laughs> uh, but now they're interested. And I think it's the exact same issue with IP. It's like they see Spider-Man, they know what Spider-Man mm. is, and they're interested enough to, to figure that out. Um, I suppose even to the, to the point of like how you govern that IP, um, you know, you'll see how protective... Marvel are over their IP yeah. because it's got to add to the Spider-Man franchise. They can't just give it to anybody mm-hmm. to do anything with it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. There's those Spider-Man like ice creams out at the moment as well. There's like 3D printed <laughs> okay. Spider-Man heads that you can like chew on now as well um, in ice cream form. Oh, yeah. um, so people care about yeah. the ice cream because it's got Spider-Man's mm. head, yeah. um, and that's just enough of a hook for them to have context yeah. to even want to know, know about it. Yep. Um, I think that's honestly the challenge and that's why I, when I was talking about like new IP earlier new IP is such high risk because is anyone going to care yeah. mm. is anyone going to fundamentally care it doesn't 
it does matter how good your execution is and all of those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And that's almost like um, you can get it to um, a very plausible and uh, realistic success level with how good you execute, how well you mm. execute, but whether it gets into the zeitgeist of whether people really care, like, mm. is a whole other mm. thing, and um, the amount you invest, like, if you make a hundred million dollar game, you, you're probably not going to do well if people don't care about the idea, yeah. the, the IP, the thing that it is, um, which probably interestingly flies in the face of my initial uh, uh, point that it doesn't matter what you're making you need a team that's invested in it um, although it still has to be underpinned by the vision it has to be underpinned by a vision care, I suppose well into it. you know my thought on it is and I think um, most industries are lucky in this way and certainly video games is lucky in this way for sure is people who work on video games love video games mm. if you get a company if you get like a hundred people to want to work on your thing because that idea is good you're probably vaguely okay because they, yeah. because they genuinely care and yeah. that is your audience to a large degree. Uh, Definitely. And you, and you do all sorts of testing and everything in terms mm. of like um, testing your idea and doing market validation. Mm. So you do get it there and it has to bend to what people are going to want to work on as well, which is probably some of the game you, work, you, you do. But um, the flip side of it is it doesn't matter how great your idea is because people have got millions and millions of ideas. It's how well you execute those yeah, ideas as well. You've got to have those people yeah. wanting to do yeah. it. Oh. Um, so it all goes hand in hand, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How many at A44 at the moment? What's your team looking like? It's always around 60 to 70. It really depends right. because oh, that's, um, we that's have... grown a little mm. bit since I was there. About 50-odd. Yeah, I think it's about 50 in-house, though. Yeah, you know, cause oh, right. the, the reason I say 60 or 70 is because we're always working with different contractors. You know, like okay. right now, we're doing okay. a whole bunch of cinematic work, so we've got a bunch of cinematic animators who've... Mm -hmm. so they're, who, and they're not in-house. No, they're not in-house. Okay. I mean, you know, they're technically a separate company to us, but we treat them like mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're part of the of project for like a significant mm -hmm. amount of time. So mm -hmm. yeah. uh, the way I think about it mostly is just like how many people are you interacting mm -hmm. with? Mm -hmm. uh, sits around 60 to mm -hmm. 70. Yeah. Good chunk mm -hmm. of people and humans. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of humans. Um, to navigate and <laughs> talk to and remember their names. Yeah, I mean... That's the fun bet for me. The, the unfortunate thing is you, you can't... Oh, you, yeah. you can remember their names, um, you can talk to them and you can interact with them, but humans are so much more complex and yeah. interesting than that. Mm. You need to... Um, I've, I've, I've come across these theories, you know, there's sort of like the five-finger theory or whatever where you can have like... Uh, you can meaningfully interact with like five people or some people say four mm -hmm. people like right. the the if you've got a lead of a team it's like the leader's mm -hmm. the thumb and the rest of the uh, other people that gotcha. mm -hmm. okay, yeah. need to rely on that person so you can have a good uh, back and forth of mm -hmm. um, information um, which is it's such a tricky proposition because all the people who are doing this need to mm -hmm. believe that you see them mm -hmm. like you really see them and you care about them and mm -hmm. you know what they need mm -hmm. and the complexity of them is so deep that mm -hmm. if you've got um, say 50 people in-house for us um, it's probably a little bit more than 50, but um, uh, so we, we, we've got that amount, say. Um, f like for me to spend enough time with them would be impossible, you know, in addition to doing anything else that I would, if, even if I just had to meet with them, like I wouldn't see them enough to really know them or um, say like in, in a really uh, simple example, um, 
I need to tell somebody that um, something that they've worked on is going to be cut from the game for some reason. Like it just doesn't work with mm. the rest of the game. And imagine that this thing is actually brilliant in isolation, but in relation to what the rest of the game is, it's mm -hmm. not going to work. So I have to go and deliver that. And the person's not going to like it because they know they've done an amazing job. And I know they've done an amazing job. Right. But for me, our relationship isn't such that I see them all the time because yeah. it doesn't it's not that I have to have mm. seen them a hundred times to build up the trust so for them yep. to know where I'm even coming from when I deliver that because um, and afterwards they have to see me supporting them as well like the very mm. next day in fact 20 minutes from then they have to see me again and like you, you need that level of um, connection with mm. your team and so uh, it's tough. I think it's why um, companies there are these sort of well documented phases that companies go through like a five person team anyone can run like a five-person team because that's just like yeah. you, you just simply behave like you would with your family so mm -hmm. everyone knows how to do that but you become like a small town or a small village and then a small town and then a city mm -hmm. and as you move through each of these you need layers of where you have your five people that you're involved with and then each of them have their five people that they're involved with um, which is such an interesting concept because I think like in a lot of um, contemporary discourse structure is perceived as a bad thing. It's oppressive. It's people mm. telling you what to do. Um, whereas I don't think that's even a healthy perspective to have when you're running a company. When you're looking yeah. at a company, what you're actually looking for is how can I support these people? Yeah. How can I make sure that they have somebody who sees them who is going to now um, be someone who uh, reports to someone else mm. who sees them? Because um, as soon as that breaks down, um, nobody sees anybody. Mm -hmm. And if you were to imagine it completely flat and just me somewhere mm -hmm. there, and even if I put myself among everyone and we just mm -hmm. made it flat, yeah. mm -hmm. I can only see the two people to this side and the two people to that side, and that's all mm -hmm. I can see. I can't look after all of them. I can't make any good strategic decisions for mm -hmm. the company. Um, whereas if you, if you kind of make it stack and I have five people and I can truly relate to what they need, yeah you can't get in your head what the next, like you can vaguely get in your head what the next layer needs, but those five people become 25 immediately and get like 25 people in your head like properly. That, it's in, That's tough. It's, it's mm. tough. And, but those 25 people in a bigger yeah. company it could is. all become mm. like... Well, that's the leadership mm. stack, isn't it? Exactly. You're talking about now. So you are, yeah, there's a pinnacle, but there's also a, another layer of leadership. Yeah. And there's another layer of leadership sometimes under that as well. Mm. Yep. And the stack is also mm. only works when there's communication proper communication and then that human connection that yeah. you talked about just getting to know people because mm -hmm. we're highly complex and that's when I suppose the leader really becomes good at hiring other leaders right yeah, mm -hmm. yeah oh. and that's the key I suppose when you're building a good business in terms of strategy is finding great talent who you know will just help you to become another conduit Exactly, yeah. because they are those that support yeah. the layers beneath them. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, like, you know, my, my theory on it is that, like, nobody is any more valuable than anybody else. Yeah. I can only do so much. Mm -hmm. And say I was an absolutely brilliant human for some reason, mm -hmm. I can only do 100, 110% mm. as a brilliant human, which I'm not saying I am. I'm just, like, if I'm 100%, I'm okay. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you're a genius, you're doing 110% of what anyone else is doing, mm -hmm. you know. Um, if you're... If, if you're um, the opposite direction you're just doing 90% of what everyone else is doing you know it's not actually the, the spectrum I don't believe is that far apart so you can't do two people's jobs mm -hmm. and you certainly can't do five people's jobs as one person you, you you're only giving like 20% of yourself to each of those mm -hmm. things which someone could dedicate 100% to mm -hmm. so 
it's a bit of a losing battle if you ever want to do anything big. Um, but but yeah, as I say, I just think it's it, it is so interesting because um, hierarchy is is really seen as overall like bad, mm. like and, and, and it can be seen as almost like a dirty word. But um, if you flip it on its head and look at how you can actually see people, how you can actually mm. look after them, um, I think uh, it sort of misses the point uh, when you can't see fifty people. In the, to the depth that you yeah. need, you need to see them. So it's just putting in place people who can see them to that depth, mm-hmm. and then you know yep. layers of that. Um, Maybe that's the thing we need to flip it and think about instead of hierarchies, but bon, but instead of foundational systems, <laughs> yeah. change yeah. the language around because hierarchy mm-hmm. does it's old school. You think about that person at the top and pointing mm-hmm. at things, mm-hmm. whereas foundational systems maybe is like a bit softer yep. but equally more celebratory. Yeah, I mean, look, it's, it, it's support systems, it's all that kind of stuff. And, you know, my perception of it is um, I always need to be really careful if I don't see people enough. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, if... And, and, and they would do it in, in the opposite direction. People that don't see each other enough, and even if you know them really well, you don't see them every day. It's a bit like throwing lightning bolts at each other. Yeah, mm-hmm. as a, and it's the, 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 not just the amount of time, but it's the quality of time, right? Yes. Exactly. Yeah, because yeah. mm-hmm. you might you might be in meetings a lot with one mm-hmm. person, mm-hmm. but you don't have that one-on-one mm-hmm. time because mm-hmm. there was always five other people. You've got to invest quiet. your mind, your, <laughs> yeah. your emotions into it, actually. To connect, yeah. yes. Really aware mm-hmm. of that. You have to genuinely connect. So no matter what you're doing, if you're doing something functional with someone else, as I say, you're just sort of throwing lightning bolts at each other. It doesn't matter where you sit in the hierarchy because I don't mm-hmm. believe that um, anyone's inherently more valuable. Just because someone moves, moves up the leadership chain doesn't make them more valuable or more effective than someone who's, say, two levels down. Yeah. Um, but the, the problem is understanding. So the key is that you've got someone in between that they're not throwing lightning bolts at each other. It's mm-hmm. not like something, oh, I saw you once a month and I told you your mm-hmm. thing was this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, that's even whether you tell them it's good or bad or in between. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter which way it is. Uh, it, it's all going to be, I think because as humans, we've each got this um, system of understanding around ourselves. And so if I'm not within this person's bubble mm-hmm. of understanding and I put some influence in there, they're just going to use everything that's in their bubble to make sense of that influence. And that's got mm. nothing to do with me mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. So um, them having, uh, I don't know, their dog pooped on the carpet this morning is more significant than anything to do with me. Yeah. And that is how they're going to feel about things. Mm-hmm. Not that they're going to relate that to it, but I'm just mm-hmm. saying something really inane like that mm-hmm. is actually more important than me in their yeah, bubble. Yeah. Um, and so all sorts of things will be, like, because humans are super clever, they're going to craft a narrative yeah. based on what it all means and they're going to put it together mm. but my intent is going to be lost so I mm. need someone in between where their bubbles cross over mm. where their intent is pure and you know exactly what it is mm-hmm. they and I understand and then the mm. next layer also understands um, which is great I mean even in moving stuff upwards they have a team that they talk to and then yeah. moves it up mm-hmm. to them and moves it up to me um, such an interesting challenge organizationally because yeah. um, yeah, I mean, when you, when you move, when you get a pro- across that hundred person mark as well, you have this thing where you c- stop knowing everyone's name yeah, at the that old point. Like, stuff <laughs> start to kick in, right? Yeah, bars number and all that. So yes. it is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Just aware of time and mm-hmm. closing out, not bleeding into too much of your days as well. <laughs> have you got any final questions you want to ask, or any things that we haven't touched upon that you thought we would? 
It's always a good thinking. Thing. I feel like we should, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there should be a final <laughs> yeah, question to wrap up things. Um, I'm thinking about it. I, I have no idea. Well, I got a final question we can wrap up with in terms of just thinking about we just started 2022. Mm-hmm. Feels like it's already been a long decade in the <laughs> 20s um, in terms of what we've experienced. But what are you hopeful for? What, what are you going to lead into or lean into when it comes to 2022? When you look back at the end of this year mm-hmm. and you're gone, you gone, yeah, that was successful. Whatever that means, mm-hmm. what does success look like for you at the end of this year? end of this year Mm. um i I suppose looking back though is still being grateful for what we've had we've been Mm. in new zealand we've been relatively free compared to the rest Mm. of the world Mm. um even these past holidays you know people could enjoy the summer Mm. and have that which Mm. a lot of places haven't been able to have Mm. throughout the world um and i suppose even just to some degree the kind of solitude Mm. that we've had like i remember before covid um, being in a constant state of jet lag, like all, just always, because you, ca- you catch enough and your your body um, regulates back to um, not not having jet lag after like a, a week or ha- a couple of days or whatever it is. But I just found this sort of a tipping point at which your body just stays in jet lag <laughs> and it just is that <laughs> way healthy. forever. Um, so that's been great. Um, tons of good things, you know. Um, but I think, you know, on the flip side, um, those exact things are probably what I'm looking mm. forward to the most, yeah. you know, um, mm. is uh, being able to see people again, just so mm. many human connections, those same bubbles mm. that um, are so uh, important to me just haven't been able to yeah. enter, I suppose, mm. those spaces for a little while um, is going to be quite amazing. Yeah, I'm, mm. I'm sure for both of you as well, having having family overseas and all those sorts of things, like just movement of humans yep. and personal connections, mm. um, yeah. which I think for New Zealand is actually hugely important i think new zealand is like a very sort of multicultural and very connected place Mm. like there's so many people from overseas but there's also um you know we're doing a creative welly thing here and no one is born in wellington um (laughs) it's it's interesting yeah Um, perfect illustration yeah so um i think that's probably probably something i'm really looking forward to is just the the connectedness of the world uh which doesn't necessarily mean mean me going overseas specifically it's just in Mm. general kind of right Feeling that again. Although mm. I would like to answer that from a perspective. I would love to see my family. It's like mm. it's the Me longest too. time since I've been back to Wales as well. Mm. So I'd like to see the hills and the valleys. And there's a different different mm. type of green in Wales. I always mm. think that way. Especially when I, I usually go back at the end of summer, mm. September time. So, you know, summer's happened. And for some reason, it just looks like it's thronging with life. The valleys, mm. you know, the trees are heavy still, you know, mm. and the grass is lush and it's just a different type of green. Beautiful. And I got to say, I miss that. Mm. I miss the accents and the silliness and, and <laughs> just my family and friends. And mm. like you say, you know, there's that connection that you have yeah. that we've been really separated from, even though I can also say I'm very grateful. So at the end of the year, I would like to look back and go, it was lovely to reconnect mm. with my roots and my family and mm-hmm the accent and the language again and just mm. be there back there mm-hmm. that's me what about you um i think um yeah mine would be just going back to um run and see my family it's been mm. about i think five years since so. i've been yeah it's a long um, time it was, it's a long time yeah and you know they are just your parents just grow older and you always um you think that oh i'm just missing the opportunity to hang out 
with them, you know, and spend time with them. Uh, so that's definitely something that, um, yeah, I'm looking forward. And I hope that the, this COVID, Omicron, whatever mm. a variation of that, <laughs> you know, just um, just fades away. And so we could go back and see, see our family. Something else that I hope happens to me, something that I really hope to feel by the end of 2022 is mm -hmm. that none of the, I don't like to regret the decisions that I've made, okay. you know, because sometimes you make decisions, some of them are spontaneous and, you know, there is no way out of it, you know, you have to just make a decision. Um, uh, sometimes the situation actually informs that decision, so there are many criteria, mm. but to be able to just make the right decision it's very important and um, because it's kind of like um, that leads to other things, right? Mm. So if you make a wrong decision, you know. Um, so I hope that um, by the end of 2022, my hope is that all the decisions that I've made have been correct to the point and um, have bared fruit. Yeah. I'm sure they will. <laughs> I'm sure the journey will anyway, no matter what, you know. <laughs> and, yeah. yeah. yeah has a way of balancing out for sure yeah. even the, the wrong yeah, ones you learn from yeah it's out of failure and that we grow right it is mm -hmm. so it yeah yes catch but it's true <laughs> thank you both of thank you for you. giving up your time <laughs> and for coming in been great okay. just thank to spend you. this time with you and to dig further into your <laughs> psyches and, and backgrounds <laughs> and fantastic thank you thank you so much Cheers. okay that was Creative Welly, episode 27. Thank you for your time. Again, check us out on the .com, creativewelly.com, and look at the video podcast. It's great, but I appreciate some of you need to walk and listen. So this is the audio podcast. Please share if you enjoy or hit us up with any questions you have. Again, a shout-out to John O'Tucker, our video producer for the video podcast over at Empire Films, and David Hamilton, who hosts us at his wonderful Flash Dog Studios. You've been listening to Creative Wally, Courageous Conversations with Bold Humans. We'll catch you next time.